In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Brent Shaw, or at The Real Student Mentor on Instagram. We talk about Kobe Bryant, setting goals that don't suck, why different words for empathy are all the same, the exact visualization exercises Brent does to feel comfortable reaching out to world-class physicians, and just where that's got him. And that's only in the first 25 minutes of the podcast. Please DM me on Instagram to let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Here it goes. Let's finish strong, publishing JAMA. Flex on the world, motor neuron gamma. Take your time, cook some dinner. Type 1 fibers, we ain't no sprinters. Yo, let's get it. Mike Will made it. Mike Will made Um, this is Michael. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pass the Mic, where I have the pleasure of sharing the narratives of imminent or current medical professionals. In short, my job is to build you a community of mentors from the folks that have come before you. I couldn't be more happy to kick this podcast off today with my guest and my good friend Brent Shaw at B-R-E-N-T-S-H-A-W Brent Shaw. Brent graduated in 2017 from UCSB with a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology. Today, one of his many claims to fame is his eager following that he's built on Instagram. He is a personal coach and a pre-med empowerer. He posts once a day, if not more, to his Instagram, um, some of his favorite books and messages that has impacted his life in comic and video form. And that's just a side job. During the day, he's the director of a stem cell institute that treats musculoskeletal conditions with orthopedic stem cell and platelet-rich plasma therapies designed to provide patients with an effective surgical alternative. Uh, more importantly, at the, uh, equally as important, if not more important, he also founded an outreach program for undergraduate and high school students. Since he was young, he's been passionate about mentoring those, those around him. That's something the two of us have in common is actually how our relationship started. This program gives students an introduction to clinical and research settings by interacting with patients and shadowing physicians. To this day, and please feel free to fact check me on this, Brent, uh, the internship has expanded to 20 students from universities, including UCLA, UCSB, Pepperdine, and Loma Linda schools of medicine. You can find Brent if you want to say hello, ask a question, or shake your fist at him on Instagram at the real student mentor. That's the real student mentor, T H E R E A L S T U D E N T M E N T O R. Just Imagine how you would spell the real student mentor with no spaces on Instagram. Clearly from that long-winded bio, you can tell he's a busy guy. So I'm personally grateful to carve out some time to have a nice conversation with him today. Brent, welcome to the show, buddy. Wow, what an intro. That was probably the best researched intro, no mistakes. Not really talking about much of that, just you getting on your hands and knees and going online and researching all of that. So that was, that was amazing. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, no worries. You can, I'll feel free. I'll send it to you after in case you ever need it for a conference or anything, but I, I did. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it on my resume. Yeah, I think you should <laughs> actually this entire, um, we're not sponsored by LinkedIn, although we should be LinkedIn hit me up. Thanks Reed Hoffman. Um, but a lot of the information is found on LinkedIn and just casual Googling. And, and, and I, uh, it's, it's cool to see what you can find on that platform. Um, yeah, I was wondering if like you stole a copy of my resume or something, because all of that was in my own words. So 
yeah, I finally put the put the dots together that I was linked in, but awesome. <laughs> yeah, I basically stole your AMCAS, honestly. I just <laughs> Yeah. I, I was I was kind of worried. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brent. Um I have a couple of rapid fire questions just to get us started and have the audience get to know you a little bit. So um, these questions super quick, just whatever's top of mind, just blurt it out. Uh, if you want to take some time with it, then you, you definitely can. Um, but are you ready for a couple of rapid fire questions? Let's go. All right, Brent, where'd you grow up? Los Angeles. Cool. Where are you now? Los Angeles. Nice. Any <laughs> distinction between where you grew up and where you are now? Any uh, yeah. So I'm probably 15 miles south. I was a little, I grew up in Woodland Hills, um, which is in the San Fernando Valley, a little bit north. And now I'm in Encino, California, which is 15 miles, 10 to 15 miles south. So not, not too big of a difference. Nice. And hoping to not stray too far from LA, I hope, for your eventual career. Yeah, I can't imagine myself not being in LA. I know you guys out there are really freaked out about the traffic. It's just a way of life. I've done my whole life has been sitting in traffic. So I just pop in an audiobook and, and days out. So traffic doesn't phase me. Yeah. Honestly, traffic is a blessing. Brent, what's your favorite quote? Favorite quote. Oh man. I should just go through my page right now. Um, Perhaps you should. Here, I'll, I'll buy you some time. I'll buy you some time. One of my favorite quotes is um, in the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. I think that's a big one for me. Yeah. So this quote was actually, I know exactly my favorite quote. It's by Kobe Bryant. And I don't want to mess it up. Um, so let me just, we can cut this out when I look for it. <laughs> no worries. Rest in peace to the legend. Yeah, that was that was a big loss. I mean, oh. to say the least. Um, he was my absolute role model growing up in LA, um, and just you know trying to emulate his work ethic and obviously different different professions. Um, but his message and inspiring others is so applicable um, to everything. So let's see. Yeah, man, I miss the guy. I miss the guy. We could talk all day about Kobe. We could talk all day. Yeah, I remember these these old stories where Kobe would be in the gym two hours before practice. He'd go through practice, and then he'd shoot another 1,000 shots. Um, so he was literally the first one in the gym and the last one out. And I remember the, the funniest things when his teammates get on camera and – they they're you can tell they're really genuine they're just explicitly like what the hell is this guy <laughs> yeah. he's ridiculous yeah like i am personally an nba player i am at the top like 0.1 percent of the world and i'm not even in the same league as this guy he's definitely a, a different breed and i think this quote just exemplifies that so the quote is um this is from his retirement speech mm. when they retired eight and 24 and it's those times when you get up early and work hard, those times when you stay up late, you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway. That is the actual dream. Mm. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So yeah. in all, it's focusing 
on the journey. Exactly. Not the destination. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually read a little snippet from a book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, I reread it a couple of weeks ago and it was something like, if you set your goals to be a specific number, maybe it's like making $100,000 a year or losing 15 pounds or winning 80 games in a season. Once you get there, um, you have nothing else to do. Like if you've won 80 games, there's nothing else, like you can't, there's no next goal, but the journey is indefinite. The journey always rolls on. And so if you, if you set your sight on losing 15 pounds, you go from 165 to 150, then you kind of get there and you're like, now what? But I like that Kobe never really, like he trusted the process. He just puts his nose down and he goes, you know, this is what I'm in love with, not the championships or the rings. Those are just a consequence of what I'm in love with. Love that. Exactly. Quote. And I think, think that's so applicable um, in medicine and your overall goal. You know, I think either it's getting into medical school and eventually being a doctor, um, but it shouldn't be that. It should be so much bigger than that. And I think we're going to dive into that a lot and that whole concept and following your why, um, right. not your what's. Um, I think is so important for happiness and, and for your overall success. Right. Super excited to delve into that topic. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, what is one of your superpowers? One of my superpowers, I think, is being able to put myself in someone else's shoes mm. and understand where they're coming from, regardless if I disagree with their opinion, whether if I'm angry with them, I feel that one of my superpowers is to be able to understand different perspectives. Yeah, I love that. We have so many different words for this concept, um, empathy, perspective, point of view. Um, in the business world, it's called customer psychology or customer mindset. But it all kind of is the same thing. Just being able to understand your fellow human can go a very, very long way. I love that superpower. It's something that um, I'm always trying to work on. Um, Brent, what is one of your favorite accomplishments? Favorite accomplishments? Uh, I don't like to think of accomplishments as tangible things. I just think, you know, being a mentor, someone that people look up to, um, you know, a great brother, a great son. And I think those for me mean so much more than whatever paper I publish or degree or anything um, tangible that I accomplish. Got it. Love that. What's one thing you're challenged by right now? Challenged by, I think. I think uh, I always try to challenge myself in, in learning new skills. Um, and right now I'm in the process of learning, you know, different industries, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's investing, whether it's whatever. Um, and when you start out and you're losing money and you're trying to just, you know, believe in the process, but no one loves to lose money. Right. And I think that's something that's extremely challenging. But again, going into the overall picture of even if I lose money, even if these ventures aren't successful, the skills I learned from whatever I do, the skills I learned from failing, um, in any type of business are going to far surpass any temporary, um, monetary gain, um, or things in that sort of nature. Yeah. I love that. Actually, that actually reminds me a lot of an interview, um, of a Toronto Raptors player sometime. I remember it was like the Toronto Raptors were really good 
at coming back in the second half, uh, despite the first half. And, and the player was like, you know, yeah, we lose the quarter, but we always win the game. Right. And something like that, um, where you, where you take losses in the short term, but you know that you, you trust this process and you know that it's going to yield results over time. Um, my girlfriend actually just had this problem today. She was doing U world problems and, uh, we had this, we had agreed that, we weren't going to figure out and learn all the content before we were going to start incorporating practice problems because we wanted to, to flex that practice problem muscle a little bit earlier. And she just did her first two sets today. And she was like, dude, like, I don't know any of the <laughs> I'm missing every single thing. And I said, exactly. yeah, that's exactly what should happen. And that should bring a smile to your face because that's you trusting the process, right? You're going to yeah. fall early, but that's going to be a big thing. Question-based okay. learning. I love it. It's one yep. of the best ways to learn. And yeah, I think yeah. it's very, it's very difficult because when you do a question and you feel like you don't know everything, um, it's, it's tough. It tough. No one likes missing questions, but if you realize that's a way to learn and you're actually going to learn faster right. because of that sting of missing the question and, and you're not going to miss that type of question again, because it's going to hurt and you're going right. to hate that feeling. You'll um, always so, remember. Yeah, exactly. Always remember humans are real emotional beings and yeah, no, I, I love that. It, that's again, just a part of the whole perspective point of view thing. If you see it as a loss, then it won't feel as good. But if you see it as, man, I'm never going to get this type of question wrong again, then it definitely makes it feel a little bit different. Um, Brent, last question for the rapid fire. What is something generous you've done recently? Um, so it was my uh, best friend's Dash's birthday. Nice. Um, and he's super creative. Um, so for his birthday, I got him a um, membership to Shareable. Mm. So it teaches you how to video edit, um, YouTube thumbnail, different things like that. Um, right. So he's super creative, really good um, at video editing. So I gave him a platform where he could uh, learn some skills. So I'm super excited and I'm not going to say I won't be you know, taking advantage of his skills <laughs> one day. Because um, I'm I'm looking to start a YouTube channel in the very near future, um, but yeah, but the the I don't necessarily like giving gifts and money. I, I like you know sharing skills and and um, hopefully you know teaching, giving someone the resources to learn themselves um, of what they're passionate about. I think that's extremely um, valuable. Right, and that that adage is summed up nicely in that old like old tale: um, teach a man to fish, not catch a man a fish. Love that exactly. a terrible thing. And I always I always love asking that question at the end because a lot of the people that I interview and I'm going to interview, um, I mean, it's it's obviously a very biased group because we're all going into medicine. It's one of the most service oriented professions. So I always love that. Um, you can always kind of be, be generous in ways that aren't saving a patient's life or uh, exactly, you know, there's generosity around us in every, um, in every corner of our lives. And I think that if you can't imagine being generous outside of a clinic, it'll be hard for you to imagine being generous solely within a clinic. It's just difficult. Exactly. So uh, Brent, there are a lot of things that I saw on LinkedIn that I could have put in the intro, but I actually wanted uh, you to elaborate on them because I think they're really interesting. I think we'll just start um, with the beginning. Uh, why don't you tell, if, if you have the, 
yeah, why don't we just start with this? Why don't you, why don't you walk us through a little bit of um, what life was like for you in college and how your like developments to this path of medicine uh, came about? Yeah, definitely. So in college, I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, I didn't know how. I just figured, oh, it's going to happen. You know, things things usually work out. I'll I'll work hard. I'll I'll do good in school, and I'll be a doctor. Right. Um, what I didn't realize was how complacent I was. Is that okay? You're going to be a doctor. Well, how are you going to do it? Are you informed of how to be a doctor? Do you know all the necessary steps? I had absolutely no idea. And I think it was complete ignorance um, because maybe I was afraid of learning how to be a doctor. And then all of a sudden I would be discouraged um, and, you know, not think it would be possible. Um, so actually until my junior year of college, going into my senior year, so rising senior, the only thing I had on my resume was I was a camp counselor. Mm. So I, vol I volunteered at a summer camp super good at uh, singing camp songs, playing dodgeball, handball. I was a slicey master, guys. Come on. The master, um, the important yeah. skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I knew it was time. It was like, all right, Brent, well, if you want to be a doctor, let's, let's walk the walk. Let's not talk the talk. Mm -hmm. um, so I was super interested in stem cell therapy. I saw all the athletes um, get these what I thought were crazy stem cell procedures to avoid surgery and to get back to the field um, more quickly. So I finally grew a pair and I reached out of my comfort zone and see if I could gain a stem cell internship um, over the summer between my junior and senior year. And I had no experience. All I had was I was passionate about it and I was willing to work hard. So I emailed a bunch of doctors in LA trying to see if I could shadow the procedures. And um, I actually, I filled out a patient application because I thought, you know what, these doctors want patients. This is how they make their money. They're, they have to respond and they have to at least see it. Right. Um, so I sent a patient application to, um, my now boss, Dr. Darrow. And I was like, Hey, Dr. Darrow, um, I'm really interested in what you do. Um, I'm really passionate about sports medicine. I have nothing on my resume, but I would love to be able to learn from you and shadow you. Um, during the summer so I can find more of my passion for medicine. Mm. And in six minutes, he responded and he said, you, letter U, letter R, welcome anytime. And I was like, who is this guy talking like a sixth grader on AIM? Right. Right. <laughs> I was like, is this real? Like, what is, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, but it was real. And um, I went from camp counselor to stem cell, in stem cell intern in six minutes. Well, let's say 20 minutes because it took me 15 minutes to write the email, right? Right. Um, so what happened that summer completely transformed my life. Um, I came in every day from when they open to when they close, and I just worked my butt off. I grew closer to the staff. Um, they adopted me into their stem cell family. Um, I created a research department so we could track all of our patient outcomes um, from nothing. And at the end of that summer, I was promoted from stem cell intern to director of research in three months from absolutely nothing on my resume. 
And that is really the story of my life is that journey. Because if I were the listener, I would think, wow, Brent, you were just really lucky. Right. You know, you, you just, you got people like you and, and you got lucky, you know? And I would say you're pro if, if that was a one-time thing, I'd probably say, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I was super lucky, but everything great I've ever accomplished or achieved in my life has been that exact same formula, reaching out of my comfort zone, not expecting anything. All I asked for was to learn, to be attached to us. If I didn't ask for a job, I didn't ask for him to pay me. I just was free labor, whatever he wanted me to do, I would do. Right. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people are willing to believe in you and give you a chance when you put yourself out there. Right. Yeah. I love this story. This is the third time I've heard it now once uh, this is, <laughs> yeah, twice for me personally, but also once from a, I forget what, where else I've heard of it, but I just love this hearing this story and I'm glad that you shared it again with us today because I think it just shows just that, that, that we all feel like, we have to kind of like start from the bottom. We have to we have to apply to some undergrad hospital volunteer program. We have to answer the phones for a year. And then maybe we get the chance to deliver the food to the patients. And then and then maybe <laughs> after two years we can we can like we can go into the patient room when the doctor is there to see. But like a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it is just us against ourselves, right? It's really saying like it's really realizing that the doors that we close are of our own accord. And the, the good part of that, and it, it's clear in your story and all the students that you've helped thus far, the good part of that story is that you can also, just as you can close those doors, you can also open those doors by acting in the opposite manner, right? By putting yourself out there, by going out there and expecting nothing and just leading with value, leading with service first. Man, there's just so many physicians that need help. And also, even more than that, there's so many physicians that have a bug to, to, to teach the next generation. Uh, exactly. Of, right. And I want to, I want to, and I couldn't agree more. And everyone forgets about this. There's so many things I would love to add for this, but I just want uh, the audience to close their eyes for a second. And I'm going to take you through a visualization exercise that is going to expel all of that complacency and insecurity you have for reaching out for an opportunity. So if you're a pre-med student, which I'm assuming listening to this, um, I want you to close your eyes and imagine yourself in 20 years, all right? You're sitting at your desk and on your wall is your beautiful MD or DO or whatever degree you have and the white, you're wearing your white coat, and man, it looks so good on you. You look good in that white coat. And you open up your computer, you log into your email, and you get an email super well-crafted, connects to your story for a pre-med student who has no experience and just wants to find their passion, just wants to get themselves, put themselves out there. Would you give that student an opportunity to learn from you? Exactly. I, love I think it. everyone, everyone would be like, oh, hell yeah. I think, you know, why not? Like I'm in medicine to help people. What's different than a pre-med student who has no experience? Right. So what is the difference between that doctor 20 years ago as a pre-med and you now? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Everyone has had those feelings of 
overwhelmingness and having a bad day and putting on Drake in their car and crying. You know, everyone's had those things. Marvin's probably room. pretty. Pr- yeah, Marvin's room. <laughs> probably pretty recently. So once you realize that fact, that I think we put doctors on this pedestal, and I know it's intimidating, especially when you don't have experience. But we're all humans. We've all really been through the exact same journey, and that's what you need to connect with um, when you're reaching out for these opportunities, is to realize that these doctors or whoever you're reaching out to is really no different than you. Exactly. Yeah, there's always the objections. Yeah, well, what if the doctor's too busy? What if, what if I, don't have no, I don't have any experience? I'm a freshman. Um, what if that doctor is too busy? What if you reach out to that doctor and the doctor leaves you on red, says no, or doesn't respond? What happens? I don't know. Tell me, Brent. Nothing. You're in the exact same spot you just were in. You still yeah. have nothing on your resume. You had nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. This is why I tell people all the time. You have n- absolutely nothing to lose, and you have director of research to gain. Right. I like those odds. Right. It's playing with house money because you have absolutely nothing to lose. If they say no, is it gonna sting? Of course, no one likes that, but you'll forget about it in two days and you'll reach out to someone else because if that person doesn't wanna help you, then why do you wanna work under them anyway? Right, right, yeah. Man, there's there's just this big, I love that we're talking about this because this is a little bit of a, I'll share a little bit of a passion project that I think I'm gonna start in a couple of days, but um, there's just this veil that, the. I mean, this is a whole, premise of this podcast that when you see an ms1 or an ms2 or a resident or an attending as a pre-med you're just like man how did that guy do that or how did that girl do that like it's, it's just so many steps between you then and that person but in reality and i this is um i've heard what you were describing in a different way and it's called the netflix rule right the netflix rule is that at the end of the day No matter if in the morning you're doing brain surgery or you're picking up telephones to answer at the hospital, at the end of the day, you go home and you watch Netflix, right? That's awesome. I've never heard. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And it just humanizes you. Just imagine uh, who's like, who is the most intimidating person in my life to like um, reach out to? So like right now I've been into personal finance and there's this guru or this guy named Ramit Sethi. He's like one of the, the biggest leaders in the field. Ramit Sethi goes home and he watches Netflix at night, right? So if I email him, he's not a guy. Was he part of that Tiger King phase, do you think? <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he watched. <laughs> I, I actually think that, I actually know that he put a Tiger King meme on his Instagram story. Oh, he, he was it. a part of it. Yeah. yeah. So everyone, and this is, again, just to go back to the, the, the premise of this podcast, I just want to deconstruct these veils because the things that get in the way of so many people are themselves. And if they realize that Brent's and I and um, neurosurgeon ABC and XYZ, they're all the same, man. We're just all humans. There's 20 years, 20 years ago, they were pre-meds. 20 years ago before that, they were six-year-olds. You were a six-year-old. Like, we're all the same, you know? Oh, and, and to go back to that uh, project that I was talking about earlier, um, I think that it's so fascinating that Social media um, gives you all the highlights, right? We also have a resume and a CV. They give you all the highlights. Here are all the papers and stuff like that. But I think something that would be interesting is if I published a resume of lowlights, like the, my, my eminent failures, everything that went wrong in my life, 
I think that would be super interesting. And one thing that comes to mind, there's this club at UCLA. It's super, super um, competitive. It's like a one or 2% acceptance rate. And it's called the student stroke team. And it's super cool because you get to work with like the stroke neurologist. You do clinical research in the ER of, of UCLA. You can imagine why it's so competitive. I applied to that thing seven times. And I got in zero times. <laughs> and then people are always like, dude, you get, you get everything so easily. You got into UCLA. You have all these cool commitments. But they don't see the seven times I applied to this thing and got rejected every single time. In fact, like one of my good friends was on the board of that club. And after seeing my like fifth application, he was like, dude, we're not going to take you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not against you, but there's just some other reasons. We're just not going to take you. Just hear from yeah. me. And I still applied a few more times knowing that yeah. I did not get in. But the fact that you kept applying, exactly. and you didn't give up. And it's just such a valuable tool. And I agree. There's on my Instagram, I primarily post motivational stuff, but there's obviously things that I don't post and some things that I'm insecure about or, or failure, definitely failures that I don't post about. I try to be vulnerable, but it's hard. Right. Telling your failures is not an easy thing um, until you make it to success, whatever you define that as, because then it doesn't matter. Your past failures are really good learning experiences. Um, but I like that, the, the resume of lowlights, because there's so many people on social media who portray this image of, oh, I'm happy all the time, but behind closed doors, they're miserable. Exactly. It's a sports center, not top 10, which is my favorite show when I was growing up. There we go on Fridays. Yeah. So um, speaking of failures, this is actually one of the questions that I wanted to get to. Um, and I, I love this idea of, of sharing our failures, this transparency, because it really humanizes us and shows that everyone can do everything. It's just, it's not a, it's not a lack of knowledge. It's, it's more of like a lack of trust and confidence and action. And so my question, Brent, is do you have a favorite failure of yours? Do you have a failure that has set you up for later success that you, you remember in, in kind of like your low lights, your dark times? That is a good question. And there's, there's definitely a lot of them. Um, I think just in general, just doubt. It's like people doubting your abilities, people doubting just you as a person and because maybe, how do I put this? I think just, just there's always going to be doubters, right? There's always going to be people who put you down in, in some aspect of your life. It doesn't matter if you have a 4.0, 520 MCAT, whatever. People are, there's going to be haters and there's going to be doubters. Um, and it sucks. I think it's very easy for me to stand up and say like, oh, when someone doubted me, I used this fuel and now I'm unstoppable. It's very easy to say that, but it's not so easy to say that their doubt seeped in. Right. Their doubt seeped in and you, and whenever someone says something negative about you, I don't know how, I don't care how self-confident you are. It's going to sting a little bit. It's going to make you reflect, oh, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm, maybe I am stretching my boundaries. Maybe I, I am setting myself up for failure. But being able to reflect on it and realize that this person has no idea who I am, whether they're looking at my resume, my stats, whatever. The only one who can define your worth is you. Right. 
So as long, and that comes, and, and that realization is easy to say, but it's harder to live by. And I think once you find your passion and your why, of why you do the things you do, I think the most common question we get asked is why medicine, right? Every interview you go into, ask you why medicine? And you come up with this answer that sounds good, and it may be something you believe, but is it something you live by, right? Oh, I want to be a doctor because I want to help people. To me, that's not good enough. Why do you want to help people? What from your past, either upbringing, failures, experiences has led you to have that why of medicine? And once you figure out your purpose and why you think you are on this earth, the quicker that doubt is not going to mean anything because you're always going to be leading with why. Right. And why is impermeable. Why is difficult to, to break down? Yeah, I like that a lot. And this kind of leads into my next question. Um, what do you, so we, there's always, there's just so much information on the internet and there are really good recommendations and really bad recommendations on Reddit or student doctor network in between calls. Oh, God. But the Try point, not to cuss, but. <laughs> you definitely can. I mean, pre-meds are human like everyone else. Um, but what I will say is, one difficult thing, and if I were to be empathetic and, and go back to freshman year me, I realize I would have had the same problem. One difficult thing, despite all the information out there in the internet is you can't tell what's good or bad because you don't have that radar, you don't have that compass, you don't have that experience to do so. So my question is, what are some bad recommendations you hear in the college pre-med space? Well, yeah, well, before I get to that question, I would just love to to rant about that um, about the, and that's the thing about social media is that everyone has a voice which can be good and bad but when everyone has a voice it dilutes the experts opinions right because just because you have x amount of followers right let's say i have i have five thousand followers and you have 50 followers on instagram right well just because i have five thousand followers that means my advice is better than yours Exactly. It's, like, it's, it's, it's and, and there's so many people with hundreds of thousands of followers and even doctors, right? Just because you are a doctor doesn't mean you're an expert in medical school admissions. And I want these pre-meds to realize this because it's super important because getting into medical school 30, 20 years ago is completely different than what it is now. Um, so when you're looking for advice, I think it's very easy to go for the free stuff forums, you know, free eBooks because we're all broke as pre-meds. We are all broke. Right. But just because it's free information and I'm not saying all free information is bad. Doesn't mean it's good information. Sometimes you need to pay and I'm not saying pay thousands of dollars at a MCAT prep company. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes it's worth investing, not paying. Think of it as investing into coaching, into courses, into whatever from a reputable source to achieve your goals. Because whatever 200, let's say you invest $200 in something, that $200 is gonna go so much further into your development um, that could possibly be a free resource. And I think the, the way you can um, vet different resources is one, has that advice worked for that person? That's step number one. But the second step, more importantly, it's easy to lead yourself. 
right? Because you know yourself, you know what you're good at, you know what you're bad at. So it's easier to lead yourself. But has that advice worked for other people who are completely different from the person giving advice? Right. Because it's harder to lead other people. Um, and so going back to your initial question, what's the worst advice? Is feeling that you have to be a box checker. Oh, I need to do research because that's what medical schools are looking for. Oh, I need X, X amount of hours and shadowing and X amount of hours at a hospital. I think that is possibly the worst advice. Be unique, follow your passion. Because if you're just box checking and at a hospital, but don't really like it, you're going to rack up hours, but you're not going to rack up anything impactful or meaningful. And if you find something you're passionate about, and it could not even be in medicine, but you could relate it to helping others in medicine, you are going to have so much more impact and so much more on your resume than just box checking. Be creative. Don't just take the easy way out and apply for a hospital volunteer because that's what every other pre-med is going to do. If every other pre-med's doing that, you're not gonna stand out when it's time to apply for medical school, internships, whatever. You have to be creative and to follow your why and follow your passion. Yeah, I'm, right, I'm just writing down notes because there's a lot to go over there. There was a lot there. Thanks for sharing all that. The, the first thing I wanna touch on is this, con yeah, is this concept of um, paying for information. Yeah. So the, the number one thing that I hear all the time in my circles is why would I pay for something if I can just Google it? Right. And so I think that question is so powerful because you've been able to Google it. You've been able to Google it for 21 years, right? You're a 21 year old. You let's just use something tangible that that's easier to understand. Um, something like weight loss, right? Why would I ever pay a personal trainer? Why would I ever pay for a program designed by Jeff Nipper or Michael Thurston um, or Ronnie Coleman, right? If I could just look up the free workouts online. Well, buddy, you've been, you've been able to do that, right? But still, you're coming to me because you put on 20 pounds of the freshman, 50, freshman 20 and you still cannot figure out a way how to drop that weight despite going to the gym three times a week right? The free information is out there. It's, I'm not saying that it's not going to work, but there's a reason some things that when you pay, and it's more than just like a value proposition, right? It's not that the paid information is 10 or a hundred times better than the free information. It's that when you pay for something, you put something, you put a part of yourself on the line, right? I heard this quote from a medium article I read. It's when you pay, you pay attention. That's what you're paying for. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So now you have not only your money, but you're like almost your pride on the line. I paid $100 exactly. for this workout. I better go do this workout. And it's a, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I paid nothing for this workout, I'm not going to go to the gym. There's nothing on the line. I didn't pay any money for it, right? Exactly. And there's so much power in all that, what you said, because you're right. Everything, let's say I pay for one of my mentors, Dr. Pinesett's MCAT course. I guarantee you, you could find probably everything he teaches at somewhere on the internet, right? Right. It's, it's oh, out yeah. there somewhere. It has to be. Reddit, MCAT, pre-med, yeah. all that stuff. But there's so many things that go into that. One, how much do you value your time? Exactly. Would I rather pay someone who, has, who is vetted, who I've made, 
made sure it's checked out and has helped thousands of students with this exact MCAT course? Would I rather pay to have an expert have done all that for me and have given me the right information or do I spend hours and hours and hours on these, on these sites that I don't know if it's right or wrong? Right. So I think that's an, a, another thing that people don't realize. Like, how much do you value your time? Right. You know, would you rather, I mean, some of the best CEOs, leaders, they surround themselves with people who can get that information for them so they don't have to waste their time and feel like they have to do everything themselves. Right. And I'll, I'll, and I'll, I, I'll pitch in here. So one thing that I think is also really important to know is when you're a student, you feel like your time is worth nothing, right? Because um, you don't have a job, you're not making any income, but just think about the, the, like the mental angst that you also pay, right? If you're on Reddit and you're looking at this cars passage and you do it and you get, you get a hundred percent on the cars passage, but then you read a comment that says, guys, this is not representative of an A. <laughs> Yeah. Like, can you, can you guys please give me a free passage that is representative and people are, and then in the back of your mind, you're just like, damn, I, I did really well on that one. But what if that's not like the test at all? You just spend hour, right. Doing that passage, finding that passage probably took some time. You did it. You did great. But then now you're spending two or three hours thinking, damn, I got to find the next passage. And now this time I got to make sure that that's vetted. Right. So in college, I took the same approach. Like I was willing to pay for things that were well packaged. Everything's here. So I could take care of it on the spot, save that time because now I could use that time to just, I mean, I, I had the luxury of having an on-campus job. I would work more hours at that job. Or even if you don't have the need or want to work the job to re recoup the money that you spent, you could use that time to go relax, man. There's a pandemic of student burnout. And I think half of it is because, we're spending five to 10 hours looking for free stuff and realizing the angst when that free stuff isn't checked out, that free stuff contradicts the other free stuff, right? There's just this mental maze that we're playing. And, and I think it can definitely be solved if we kind of start to understand our time as being a little bit differently valued and um, looking, to, looking to, to get away from free is, is cheap or I mean paid, is like uh, the, the, the evil sin of, of all students' lives. Exactly. And I think there's such a stigma that pre-meds are like afraid of money. They feel that in the old days, if you wanted to be rich, you could become a doctor. And that was a sure way thing to be rich. So now I think a lot of pre-meds think, well, like I'm being a doctor and I'm not doing it for the money. You know, I'm doing it to save lives. Right. And if someone is selling a course, well, like if they're a doctor and selling a course, well, why aren't they giving it for free? You know, why are they trying to scam me? Right. And I think there's a, there's a huge circle out there. And I think more people than not that think, Oh, if you charge for something, you should be giving it for free. You're already making all this money. When in reality, there's nothing wrong for having your services paid for because medical schools do it. Right. <laughs> right. They're right. providing you medical education and on a lot of the times you're paying upwards of $80,000 to get that education. Right. But that's okay because it's institutionalized. Right. So I think this is a, this is such an interesting topic that I've been trying to reflect on a little bit more is why as pre-meds we have this angst of money and we think money is evil because that's how I used to be. 
um, before I kind of got this entre entrepreneurial spirit because I thought, oh, I'm not in this for the money. You know, I'm not doing it for the money. Okay, that's great, but you could still make money. There's nothing wrong with making money as long as you're obviously doing it for the right reasons. Right, right. Yeah, I get that sense too. And I, I understand, I understand. I'm not going to bag on these pre-meds because I completely understand where they're coming from. Like when I was in college, I had to work two jobs to, to get the money that I needed, right? So I get how uncomfortable it feels to pay for something. But exactly. Especially in the pre-med space. But more often than not, man, I'm going to be honest. I just see so many people offering things for free. So like, let's say there's a, there's a good hearted physician or a good hearted medical student colleague of mine, and they offer to uh, have a one day workshop at the UCLA career center. And they tell you all they know about personal statements. Right. And then you get there, you're inspired, you learn a lot. And then next week you have a question about the work and activities but there's no workshop on that. I mean, the physician's busy, the, college, the medical student is busy, they're doing other things, right? They need to do other things to make some income or keep themselves sane. And so you reach out to the physician, you reach out to the medical student, but they're, they're kind of like to their bandwidth. They can't mentor you every day, right? So I just think that goodwill hearted nature sometimes, I love it. I love that people are, are pitching in to help the community, but I think it's lacking longevity. It's lacking a longitudinal model where you can mentor people for weeks and months and years at a time because that's what they need, right? And sometimes the way to make that possible is to have these services that students pay for so you can fund things like uh, graphic designers to help you make your infographics or like virtual assistants to help you build the tech. Like people like your mentor, Dr. Pineset or other entrepreneurs in this medical space, they don't use that money 100% for pure profit or pure gains, right? They're using it to reinvest, to help more and more and more and more and more students. It's something that you and I individually cannot do, but with a collective effort with these services fueled by the students, you can continue to support generations upon generations of students. And I think that a lot of people criticizing this space for charging, they always think, man, that guy's just using that extra money to buy that Lambo. But no, I'm using it to power the, I'm using it to power the server, hire a film team, which costs 20 to $50,000 to build this course out for you, right? I'm spending, I'm, I'm, I'm deciding to not take weekend call so that I can get up at, on Saturday and do these two hour workshops for kids, for students every week, right? So I'm foregoing money there. I need to have this supported somehow. And that's where it's supported, right? There's no NIH funding for this. There are no grants for this type of work. Mentorship is supposed to be free, but I think that it's hurting people, um, this, this stigma of paid stuff, because you're only mentoring people at one touch point and then you're leaving them, right? Or you're yeah. trying really hard to mentor them for a month, but definitely not a year. Yeah, exactly. And it all started from, from free. You know, all these services, I know for a fact, Dr. Dr. Pines has been mentoring for like 20 years, thousands of students for free. And then when he finally had the resources to be able to expand that to reach even like a hundred times the people he could uh, individually mentor by doing workshops, then he created online courses. 
And it's the same thing for me. I mentor 25 students for absolutely free as part of my stem cell clinic. Now to try to reach even more students, and that's where you know charging for courses or, or online coaching or whatever comes into play. Um, so just realizing, and there is, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are people who are charging for courses that are absolute shit. Right. You know, so it's so important that it's, you don't want to, and I, I get it. If you want to invest your money, you want it to be great information. That's where you have to do your vetting and making sure the stuff actually works and has helped other people. Um, but like what you said, when you pay for something, you get every single drop especially when you're broke, especially when you invest the sum that's uncomfortable. And that's what I always advise students is invest in something that makes you just a tiny bit uncomfortable because you know, you are going to get that money back and more by, by, you know, taking that cloth and rinsing out every single drop you can get. Right. Ramit Sethi, who charges an arm and a leg for some of his courses. He says it like this. He says, you know, what you want your customer to eventually be able to say, or what, what you want your customer to eventually be able to think is, man, that's a lot of money. All right, I'll do it. That's like, that's what you want them to feel, right? Because they trust in you. They know the value that you're going to provide. They know the accountability that paying this money has, right? They know all of that and they recognize how much it is, but they'll do it, you know? And so, I, I mean, I just, I'm so glad we're talking about this conversation. It just, it frustrates me a lot when I see um, some of the cancel culture that happens and, and I get it, man. There's, there's a lot of scam artists out there that are trying to make a quick buck, but for some people trying to make an honest living and really support more, like mounds upon mounds of students, this is a very viable way to do it. And I, and I really appreciate, and I really hope that the, the, the stigma changes a little bit on that front. Yeah. And if you're a pre-med, you probably have that view. Um, the traditional view of paying for things and why would I pay when there's all this free resources out there, but just take a different perspective. You don't have to agree with us by any means, but if you can see where you're coming from and maybe modify that to your own perspective based on your experiences, I think you're definitely going to be better for it because again, the most successful people have all paid for coaching paid for courses, paid for services, so they can bring all that amazing information to the forefront where they could better utilize their time for making an impact. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even Ryan Gray, he authored a great book on personal statements, right? Why isn't that free? I mean, it's a great resource. He's packaged it completely for you and people are willing to pay for that. I think it's, it's not too different when you're talking about services or courses or, or anything of that sort. Um, but we'll wrap up that point there. I also wanted to get one more uh, uh, point in about that whole checkbox mentality that you were talking about earlier, and then we'll finish up with a couple of questions that I want to make sure I get, get answered before um, you, had, you have to head out. So uh, that checkbox mentality, I love love this phrase because a lot of students will always go checkbox. Yeah, no, 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 that's not me. I'm, I'm better than that. I'm above that. I know all about it. Then when you look about, when you look at their resume, right, it's not, it's not like scribe or EMT or research, like a very traditional checkbox. 
it's like things that look very similar to the checkbox. If it's not um, hospital volunteer, it's like nursing volunteer program. If it's not mm -hmm. scribe, it's like medical assistant. If it's not EMT, it's just very, very similar. And then when you ask them, you can very clearly say or understand that they only did those things because they thought that that's what you should quote do as a pre-med, right? That's what it takes. And so I'm going to share this story that I heard in a Tim Ferriss podcast a couple of days ago. And I love this story. I think he was interviewing a guy named Josh Waitskin or something like that. He is like an American chess prodigy, world chess champion. Um, and he's acclaimed in a, a couple of martial arts too. So just all around a student of, of everything basically. And he said that Josh says that one of the best pieces of advice that he has ever gotten uh, was from his friend who told him, you know, if you want to make a billion dollars, you should revolutionize ball bearings or number two pencils or, you know, the, you know how everyone uh, in the business industry needs their PDF signed? You know how annoying it is to print out a PDF and sign it? You should invent some way to electronically sign things, right? And I thought it was such a funny story because it's like ball bearings, number two pencils. That's not sexy. Like who's going to make a million dollars off of number two pencils? But I looked into this and I actually saw, I found a couple of industries that are like mind blowing. Number one, the cardboard box industry is like 500 million plus dollars every year. And it makes sense. Everyone needs a cardboard box. And even if they're five cents, it can amount to that much, right? Um, I just saw a tweet today that the, the company that runs PDF signing, um, electronic PDF signing, I think this year in revenue, they had $700 million. It's a thing that allows you to sign PDFs electronically. That's it. It's like a, a partner to Adobe Acrobat. It's insane. So the, the idea is go where people aren't going, right? Find spaces that you personally enjoy and you want to revolutionize, right? And, and I guess the, the overall thing is don't go where other people are going just because other people are going there, right? Take a step back, be critical about where you're going, what your path is, and make sure that the activities that you are doing, you're actually passionate about. Man, if you have a thousand hours at the hospital and you did not like it at all, number one, maybe re-examine if uh, hospital medicine is for you. Perhaps it isn't. But two, think about why did you spend a thousand hours in a thing that you don't enjoy? That is mind-boggling to me. And a lot of pre-meds just love doing this because they think that that's what you need to do. So... Take it from Josh Waitskin's friend, right? Go where people aren't going. And at the end of the day, that usually looks like doing things that you truly enjoy, even if people don't think it's quote unquote for medicine. And I'll give you an example. I was uh, a sophomore or junior, a sophomore and junior at UCLA, and I was just um, neck high in research and a lot of other extracurriculars that I enjoyed. But one thing that I wanted to say by the end of my college career, I wanted to say that I was a referee, right? Because I loved the game of basketball. I, was, I played basketball all my life. I was a youth basketball coach. And this opportunity came up 
and uh, it was an application to be an intramural sport basketball referee. And I, I just told everyone about it. I was like, I'm applying for this. This is going to be so fun. I can't even wait to get started to put on stripes, right? But I remember a lot of my friends were just like, Mike, you know how hard being pre-med is, right? Like, do you have time to blow a whistle from 7 p.m. to 12 a.m., right? Do you have time to wear vertical black and white stripes, look like a monochromatic zebra and run up and down? Like, aren't you, don't you have better stuff to do? Shouldn't you be doing research or something? And I just remember like feeling so, so defeated by that because in the back of my head, I was like, you know, maybe they are, they are right. Like intramural basketball, who, who is going to ever care that I was a referee other than me? If I'm really serious about being a doctor, then I should just drop this, right? I should really double up on my GPA and my MCAT and my research and whatever, whatever. But I'll tell you what, of the, of the, uh, five or six interviews that I did, I am pretty confident that if I was not asked about intramural referee, uh, if I weren't directly asked about intramural refereeing, I brought it up in every one of those interviews. And that was a main sticking point at almost all of my conversations because everyone was just so interested in what being a referee was like. Everyone knows what a referee is like. Um, they see them on TV, but they really want to know what was it really like? Like, do people, do athletes get upset at you? What are you guys doing during halftime? Like, what is the decision-making? How fast is it really? Right. And they were so curious and I loved that they were curious. And that's a key point. I loved that they were curious and I loved it so much that that conversation was a hit every single time. It was so easy to talk about intramural basketball refereeing and it's because I loved it. Now imagine you had to talk about the 1000 hours at the hospital desk that you did not love. I guarantee you, you wouldn't be able to talk about that for even three minutes, much less 30 minutes in a, in a traditional local school interview. So that's my point. And when, you, and when you do talk about that hospital interviewing, they're going to see it on your face and your expression that you didn't love it. Exactly. So when, you talk about, when you talk about refereeing and your whole face lights up and your whole tone is completely different, right. that's authenticity. And I love that story. I'm definitely going to share that story on my uh, student mentor page because I think it's extremely powerful. And again, connecting something that has nothing to do with medicine to why you love medicine. Right. Right. Yeah. Feel free to share that story, man. It's, it's one of my favorite ones. And I, I mean, I still look for ways to get involved with basketball to this day, no matter how beat and battered my body is. There's no reason not to. It's a, it's a complete, it's like a meditation being out there when you truly love something. And for me, it's golf. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how tired I am when I'm out there. Everything is just kind of a bliss. Yeah. It's honestly blacking out without the alcohol. Not that I've done that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so a couple of questions I'll pick some of the, some of them are really quick to warm you up and then some of them, may take a little bit more thought. Do you have any time that you need to head out of here, Brent? No. Okay. Sounds good. We'll start with the first question. We'll what? just go for the whole night. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd love that, but I got another one. After. We'll, go, we'll go for your referee schedule, 7 p.m. Well, I guess now 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was great cardio. I'll tell you that. It was really fun. It was, <laughs> I, I, I like, you're making me miss it so much. I just remember 
I remember the first, we're just going to, I'm going to digress because I, I miss it so much. <laughs> I remember the first game that I refereed, I could not blow the damn whistle. Everyone thinks it's so easy, but you have to really like to get, get a sound out, right? And as hard as I just blew, that would give you maybe like a little squeak, right? To get the real piercing sound that you hear on, on NBA television, oh my God, you got to have Michael Phelps swimmer's lungs. It was insane. And I remember people getting so mad, like the athlete, the basketball players getting so mad. They were like, was that a no call? Did you call something? And they would all look and they would all stop because they heard something, but they weren't sure if that was a whistle. And I was, I was so embarrassed. But then after like the third or fourth game, when I finally hit that sharp pitching squeal of a whistle, I remember like, like just cheesing to myself the whole game. I was just <laughs> smiling the whole time. I was like, yeah. You guys, you guys heard that. That was a foul, bro. You heard that. You stopped playing, right? <laughs> you definitely heard that. Anyway, I missed that. All right. We're going to get back to these questions. Question number one, what is the book? And these questions are uh, inspired by Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors, if you guys are wondering where they are. Um, one, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? <laughs> yeah, so... When I uh, mentor students, I uh, have them read Into the Magic Shop Ooh, and, uh, and start with why. So Into the Magic Shop um, is also another great story. Um, so Into the Magic Shop is about a, um, is about a kid who grew up in um, Lancaster, which if you don't know, is kind of in the boonies in LA. And he came from a very underprivileged family. Um, and he walked into a magic shop one day because one of his magic tricks broke. Um, and he found a lady in there who um, he formed a relationship with. He was like 12 at the time and taught him how to meditate and how to visualize. And he came from nothing. He then went to UC Irvine. He then went to Tulane for um, his medical school. And he got in with like a two point something GPA to Tulane. Um, and he now is the uh, is a neurosurgeon at Stanford. He created the Center for um, Compassionate Research, um, and he's best friends basically with the Dalai Lama. All from and his life changed when he learned how to meditate, and he learned how to visualize. So, this was during my reaching out phase. So I read the book, and I was like, "Wow, this guy completely transformed my way of thinking." I reached out to him. I was like, his name is Dr. Doty. I was like, hey, Dr. Doty, I was incredibly inspired um, by your book. Um, I give it to every single one of my mentees. I run a mentorship program for underprivileged students um, out of a stem cell therapy clinic. I would really love to meet you. And a month later, he responds to me. He's like, hey, Brian, I'm really inspired by what you do. Um, drive up to Stanford, and I'd love for you to shout at me during uh, one of my shifts as a neurosurgeon. And I was just like, oh my God, this world famous neurosurgeon is going to become my best friend, <laughs> you know? Um, so basically, um, I, I, uh, I drove up to Stanford. It was a life-changing experience. Um, meeting him and having him believe in me, even though he was this intimidating, what I thought in the beginning was an intimidating um, figure. Um, and now he is one of my mentors. Um, so... And he completely transformed the way I think about visualization and um, about 
um, meditation, how it can really transform your, your, your life and silencing that little voice in your head telling you you can't do something. Um, and then start with why as another book um, that I absolutely love. And it, it's, it's a little, it's a little repetitory. Um, but for me, I had all these different interests in business and in medicine and in mentorship. And then when I read that book, everything clicked where my purpose shouldn't be to become a mentor, to be a doctor. It should be to something bigger than that. So my purpose is now to inspire people to become the best versions of themselves. And I use being a doctor, use mentorship, use business to achieve that why. Um, so those are the two books um, that I love gifting to people. Love that. I'll have to download both of those on my Kindle and get them started. Those are interesting. I haven't heard of those, those two. Yeah. All right. Second question. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Ooh, let's see. $100 or less. Um, I would just say probably that book I was telling you about, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And maybe it's just recency bias, but I love this book and I read it in like two days. Um, basically, it's a story about this guy who had a rich dad who grew up um, in academia, um, but would always be in financial trouble. You know, he had a high paying job, but he worked for the government, but he would always be in financial trouble. And then he had his poor dad, um, who had more of an entrepreneurial spirit um, and had money make uh, money work for him. So it's great because it talk, talks a lot about taxes and a lot about financial literacy which I think all of us need so much work in. You know, they don't teach us that in school. They don't teach us about taxes, about certain loopholes that the rich, why basically the rich pay less in taxes than the lower and middle class do. Um, so this book teaches you how to make money work for you. Um, and I think it's completely transformative. If you haven't read this book, um, I would highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I love that. I uh we, we were speaking a little bit off air before the the recording but uh this book is literally four dollars and 72 cents and i um, purchased it on kindle and i'm looking forward to get getting to to delve into the content myself so um books i think are the most underpriced asset in in our economy today it's just a wealth of knowledge for pennies dollar exactly uh, next question, Brent, if you could, I, this is a super, um, super important one, I think, because we all kind of have our internal messaging and, and I want to share your message. So here's the question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, this gets a message out to millions or billions of people. What would it say and why? It could be a few words. It could be a paragraph. It could be someone else's quote. Anything. Well, it definitely, it would definitely be the power of reaching out of your comfort zone and just asking to learn from people. Um, it's so surprising that it is not talked about in any self-help book. No one really talks about the power of networking, the power. They talk a little bit about the power of finding mentors, but not the actual mechanism of actions of how to actually do that. Um, and I, I always say it's not what you know is who you know. It's so important because if you are willing to work hard and be enthusiastic, I think enthusiasm is such an under, 
um, uh, underrated trait of if you come into work or internship or whatever, and you're excited to be there and you light up the whole office, people will want to give you the world. So I think that just message, which is the whole message of my life, um, I'd love to put on a billboard and definitely going, going to be writing a book about it one day um, because I think it's, there's such a power to it that it's not being utilized by, by many people. Right. Be enthusiastic. Step out of your comfort zone. I like that. I like that. What is one of the best, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? It could be an investment of money. It could be an investment of time or energy. Let's go money. Cause I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be, um, I've already talked about the time, um, but I think now I'm going to give him a huge plug, but I think investing um, in Dr. Pinesets courses um, because, and not so much for the, and the information is amazing. And I really recommend you guys check him out because he's a, he's, his stuff is all vetted and has transformed thousands of students' lives, but just for being able to figure out how important it is um, to invest money into a specific program of, because I hadn't really done that before. I was on the mindset, oh, I'm going to look on YouTube and see how people scored a 99th percentile on the MCAT, right? You just hear the same generic stuff from people, um, but no, no real mechanism of actions. But the, how I was able to find that out and then form a relationship with him um, by what came of that investment. Now, it wasn't because I, he became my mentor because I paid for his courses. That's not what happened. But... Um, what it forced me to do was, again, I wanted to string every single thing out of him if I was going to invest this type of money um, into his program. So um, I invested in his program and I, I loved it. I love what he was talking about. So I would go to all of his workshops that were free and I would get to know him. And now he's my mentor, but I consider him, you know, a close friend now. Um, and it all started from you know, believing in his cause and investing monetarily um, in his courses and, and getting to know him. And, you know, we vibe together. You may not vibe with the way he say, says things or, or how, he, how, he, how he shows tough love, and that's fine. Find another mentor. But for me, um, I was able to monetarily invest in his course, and what's come of it has is, is been life-changing. I love that. I haven't personally used his courses, but... Uh, I keep hearing good things. So I imagine it's because he's delivering value on the front end um, that people keep saying good things about him. So that's a good one. I'll, I'll have some people check it out. Uh, next question. What is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? And I asked this question because I think we all have our little quirks and it really humanizes us when you realize that, oh, this person like likes the Chinese yo-yo. Not that that's unusual or absurd, but it, it just makes you more human, right? You don't, you don't think of a neurosurgeon who is a friend of the Dalai Lama, right? That just makes him more yeah. human. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot, a lot that just like, I don't want to say, because uh, it's, you know, we're all, I think the thing that I found out was we're all weird. We all have those weird things that we do behind closed doors. You know, that you would not want anyone to see, especially in your professional life. Right. Um, 
Oh man. How about, how about like a like a guilty pleasure? Like obviously a, a, a PG guilty pleasure that, that <laughs> Yeah. Here, I'll I'll share one with you. I'll share one with you. Okay. My guilty pleasure, and this is this has come um, in the last four to six weeks because of my girlfriend, but I am loving just binging. I'm talking like hours on end, just videos on houseplants. It has just been so fun oh. and relaxing just to delve into the YouTube spiral. And before houseplants, it was those chiropractic ASMR videos, man. God. Every time they get one of those big cracks, I'm just like, oh, that feels really, really good. That's like, that's what I'm going for. Just something that's just a little unusual or specific to you that, uh, that just makes you human. Yeah, I, I mean, I, don't, I feel like this is not as specific to me, but I feel like I could watch Tiger Woods highlights. Ooh. Of things I've, I've watched, like, like the two, when he won the 2019 Masters, that was one of the top three sports performances I've ever seen. But I'd probably rewatch that Masters highlight probably like a hundred times. And I do the same thing with Kobe. And I, I feel like most people, I mean, there's like millions of views on these videos, so I can't be the only one watching it a million times. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I think that, and it's the same thing on Instagram, watching golf swings. And I'm just a golf nerd. Like I love just learning about, um, the golf swing and how to become a better golfer. Yeah, I've been doing that with Trey Young recently. He's insane. So love that. All right. Nice to be was on a good team. Yeah, I know. It's kind of <laughs> All right. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habits has most improved your life? I've talked about a bunch of them obviously i don't want to just regurgitate them reaching right. out of your comfort zone and, and things like that because i've already talked about it enough but i think meditation meditation i think has completely transformed my life and i feel like i'm a lot more calm a lot, i'm a lot more relaxed um i know and i think this is another thing that people don't necessarily harp on that much is i think when we think of meditation you think you have to be a monk and you should think nothing But I see it as an opportunity of kind of saying like, what am I telling myself? What is that internal dialogue that's going in my head and what experiences are, are causing that? And I think meditation, in addition to being more relaxed and whatever, my resting heart rate's probably lower, but just knowing myself better has really caused me to know myself better what I'm thinking, and more importantly, why I'm thinking, what experiences has, has caused me to think in that certain way. And I think knowing yourself is, is one of the most important attributes um, you can have. And that sounds silly. Like, of course I know them myself, but so many people don't listen to their thoughts. They always have, I had this roommate in college who would always have music on, like whatever he was doing. He would probably, he slept with music, slept with like, uh, young thug like in the background like what are you doing bro but i think i think sometimes we're scared of what we talk what to find out what we, we're telling ourselves and and we think that voice is actually us when it's not um so i think meditation for all those reasons has has um transformed my life and i do and i do it every day there's only 15 minutes 
Um, I usually do it right before I go to work or start working so I can clear my mind um, and get at it. Nice, nice. Yeah, I personally have recommended meditation to many of the students that I help, and it has been a hit. Uh, it's not for everyone, and I want to make that very clear for everyone. Um, give it an honest effort. And if it's not for you, then it's not for you. But I think a lot of us end up stopping before uh, we can really see the tangible benefits or we're kind of just chasing the meditation fads. I'll do this one and then that one and then that exactly, one. Exactly, yeah. But I think it is for everyone. It's not for everyone for the same reason, mm. right? But if you have, a, let's say, ADHD and you can't focus, you know, you can't, you can't clear your mind. That's not something you could do. Well, do what, do what I just say. See what you're telling yourself. You know, I think it's a, it's, it's a chance for introspection more than anything. So I think it, it could benef- benefit everyone, but people get so frustrated because they think the point is to not think about nothing. Mm. The point is, is to try and right. is, it, it is to give it an effort. If you meditate for 15 minutes a day and you're trying your hardest, then I, that's a win. And if you think about it like that, I think it's, it's going to be more enjoyable for you rather than just getting frustrated because a thought popped up in your mind. Right. Right. Let's, let's dial back in to the, to the audience at hand. And I'm really curious what you would say here because we talked about a whole lot of things, but uh, hopefully we can hone into something here. What advice would you give to a smart driven pre-med? This is a pre-med that, knows what he or she wants is definitely smart and capable enough, AKA all pre-meds really. What would you give to a smart driven pre-med college student at the beginning of their journey? Well, if they're smart, I would say we're ta- probably talking about IQ. We're talking about someone who is willing. Gets good grades, let's say. Yeah. Uh, let's just say someone who's driven. We'll say someone who's driven. Okay. I would say, work on your emotional intelligence that is going to get you and that's talking about focus on who you know not what you know it's kind of it's a kind of a segment off that but work on your emotional intelligence because that is how you connect with people work on your empathy work on your energy work on looking people in the eye when you're talking to them Work on your handshake, work on all these things that we really take for granted, but make a huge difference when it, when it comes time for who gets the internship or who gets into a specific school or, or whatever. But I don't think emotional intelligence is harped on enough because for example, if I was going to hire someone or take a, another mentor, mentee in my stem cell therapy clinic where you get the chance to be published, um, all this stuff. I don't care how smart you are. I think people think, oh, it's whoever's, whoever has the most on the resume. And I would say most, most people, it's not about how smart you are. It's about how well you can connect with people and learning how to connect, whether that's connecting with someone's story, whether that's connecting with someone's message, um, focusing on their why, but I think emotional intelligence is such an important factor because again, if I'm hiring someone, I want to know, are you going to get along with everyone here? Are you going to make people better? And a lot of that has nothing to do with your IQ, but has to do with your EQ. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people think that those things can't be worked on. We kind of grow up with the invisible script that, yeah, man, that's the class clown. That's Mr. Popular. 
I just it's just not in my DNA to be exactly an extrovert or whatever or whatever that means you know introvert extrovert charismatic non-charismatic these are there are all things these are all developable developable skills and i think if we change or understand that a little bit better we can definitely make it a habit to look people in the eye or uh, watch it when we when other people are speaking so as to not to cut them off or to pause instead of fill the conversation with us and ums right exactly and and i think i think that perfectly ties into my student mentorship account i thought there's no way i'm this influencer type you know i'm not going to stand in front of a camera and make videos that's stupid like i was never thought of myself as that person but now i do right and now i make videos every day Right. You probably thought things like, man, who am I to get up yes. here and tell other people like, what, like, why? Why, why the hell, why the hell would anyone listen to me? Who, I'm a nobody. Why would people care? But again, if they don't care, they're just going to scroll. Right. But if I could impact one person by making this account, that is worthwhile for me. That is 10 times over worthwhile for me. Right. So, so would, don't give yourself that excuse. Sorry to cut you off. You're good. I would even, I would even argue that it is your responsibility to put yourself out in the world, right? Ramit Sethi says, he does this visualization experiment where he goes, imagine your favorite product. Imagine the creator of that product. Like for me, just imagine like Pepsi or Coke or a PS4 or Netflix or Avatar The Last Airbender or basketball, right? Imagine that. And imagine the person who created that listened to all the people around him that said, that's a stupid idea, dude. Who would ever do that? Who would ever get an orange ball and throw it at a circle, right? Who, that's the dumb, like, let's play soccer. Soccer's cooler, right? So I, I, I love that message. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say more than that. I just love that message because we do have responsibilities to share what we've learned with other people. It's a, it's a whole premise of this podcast and of mentorship in general, right? History has already taught us so many things, but for some reason we're stopping ourselves from sharing that history with other people. And by sharing your story, you might feel alone. We all think we have a unique story and things that we go through, but the reality is, is we don't, we're not. We're not really that unique. There's so many people who are going through exactly what you are going through, whatever hardship that might be. But by putting yourself out there and by, pe- by being vulnerable, you're gonna find that community of people who can support you. And you might not have that support system who, um, who is gonna support you being a doctor. But if you put yourself out there and share your story, you're gonna find those people who you connect with. Right, right. I love that. So we'll wrap up with one last question. What is one thing you would have done differently or wish you would have known before if you were a freshman again, starting on your pre-med journey and why? Well, I wouldn't want to change anything. That's first off. I wouldn't want to know anything different. I mean, there's a reason why everything, and it makes sense now, obviously looking back, um, but again, just the power of networking 
realizing that I don't know it all. It's okay. It does. It's not, I think this is, this is actually the message I want to get across. It's not weak of you to ask for help. Don't feel like because you don't know everything, you have to go down a level and ask people for help. Mm. I wish I asked for help so much sooner. Ask to learn, to learn how to study what it actually took to be a doctor. I wish I just asked for help. And if you are struggling right now, if you're getting, not doing well in school and you're not asking for help, you are, you're self-sabotaging yourself. Your ego is getting in the way of your dreams. Right. Right. I, I love that. And two places is a nice place to wrap up, but two places to ask for help are me through Instagram or email. And of course my esteemed guest today, Brent, again, if you want to say hello, ask a question or shake your fist at him. Um, he said a lot of controversial things. I'm sure you guys all have thoughts. Please go ahead and shake your fist at him in his DMS and, and send me all the love instead. But if you want to do, uh, go ahead. And well, I love that. If you want to shake your fist at me, I love it. I love people who disagree with me and I would love to know your perspective and why you think that way. I don't care. I don't care what necessarily what you say. I care why you feel that way. What in your experience has, has caused you to believe that. Um, but I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I'm, I hate this kind of cancel culture where, you know, if someone disagrees with you, um, you should cancel them. I think it's utterly ridiculous. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's two sides of the coin. There's, there's pretty horrible things that are going on. Um, but just because someone's a Trump supporter, that means they're a terrible person. Just as an example, um, I think really needs um, some work in our society. And if you disagree with me or hate anything that I say, please let me know. I'd love to have a conversation, a civil conversation where we could see if we can find some common ground. Yeah, let's chat. And if you do want to chat, you can find Brent at The Real Student Mentor. Again, that's The Real Student Mentor, T-H-E-R-E-A-L. S-T-U-D-E-N-T-M-E-N-T-O-R on Instagram. Brent, it was a fun time. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll make sure to touch base with you in a couple of days, man. It's been fun. Thank you again. Yeah, it, it flew by. Yeah, I know. It's been an hour and a half. It's fun. All right, well, thank you for your insights and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, thank you so much for having me. Hey, podcast. Episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts. What happens when you do that is a golden goose actually comes to my door with a framed picture of you. I then put that framed picture on my audio listener hall of fame. My team in Vietnam gets a ping and they light a candle. There's a moment of silence and pure gratitude because you've committed to joining our team. We then throw the world's largest silent disco party and the funds generated by that party is able to deliver the next podcast episode to your mobile device. It's hard work, but it's honest work. Thank you so much for listening, and please DM me on Instagram what you thought about this episode. One last favor, close your eyes and take a deep breath.